I hope you have a sheet uh, as you came through the door. We are going to proceed on to lesson number eight tonight. Uh, it is uh, the main player is Jacob, and the title of the lesson is Jacob's New Name. Uh, we're picking up with the life of Jacob, a major player in the Old Testament, and also a major player in the creation of the nation of Israel. God's chosen people. Now, let me just backtrack a bit. Let's talk about the lineage here so that everybody is on the same page. God tells Abraham, Father Abraham, the beginning, the patriarch of the nation of Israel, he says to Abraham, if you follow me in sheer faith, I'm going to use you and your wife Sarah to create a family which cannot be numbered. Uh, that family is going to belong to me. But he makes a promise to Abraham and Sarah, Abram and Sarai, when they are getting up in age, and he says, I'm going to create a huge family, and you're going to be the progenitors of that family, the beginning of that family. But they have a major problem in that they are childless. They do not have a son through whom to bring forth a family. Uh, but amazingly, God opens Sarah's womb at 90 years old and at 100 for Abraham and 90 for Sarah. They are given a, a miraculous son. His name is Isaac, which means laughter. And the reason he is called laughter is because both Abraham and Sarah laughed when God said, you're going to have a baby at your age. But Isaac did come. He was indeed a child of their flesh. He was a biological child from the two of them long after their childbirthing years. Uh, Isaac grows up. He marries Rebekah, and they have a set of twins who are named Esau and Jacob. And although Esau is firstborn, if you remember upon their birth, Esau is born first, but Jacob is holding his heel as he is born, uh, symbolic that Jacob is going to be one who struggles after Esau. But Esau born first, Jacob cheats him out of his birthright. Amazingly, he cheats his brother Esau out of the birthright of being the firstborn with a simple bowl of stew. Jacob is known to us as a trickster and as a deceiver, uh, and he sets up bad blood between himself and his brother Esau when he steals his birthright. And because of that bad blood... If you remember, his mother says to Jacob, you had better run because Esau is going to kill you. And so Jacob does run. He runs to uh, the homeland of Haran, to his kin people there. And it is there that he meets Laban. And Laban has a gorgeous daughter whose name is Rachel. And they strike a deal saying, if you will work for me for seven years, you can have my daughter, my beautiful daughter, Rachel's hand in marriage. And he works that seven years to marry her. However, if you remember, one of the greatest slips that has ever been made in human history is when Laban the father slips his older daughter Leah into the wedding chamber that night and the marriage is consummated and Jacob wakes up with a woman that he had no idea he had been with all night long. I, I, you know, only the Bible could have a story like that. But that's exactly what happened. So... Jacob has to work another seven years to earn the hand of Rachel. But the deceiver meets a deceiver. 
Jacob the deceiver meets Laban the deceiver. And he works for Rachel's hand another seven years. So between Leah, the, the daughter with weak eyes, <laughs> Brother Earl says crossed eyes, but scripturally weak eyes, tender eyes. Between Leah, her handmaid Zilpah, and Rachel and her handmaid Bilhah, Jacob has at this point 11 sons. One more is going to come later. The 12th son will be born later. What a tangled web this man has already woven and lived in. Uh, this is where the thread continues tonight. Uh, at this point, Jacob and his wives and his children are ready to leave Laban. Of course, he has labored for his uncle Laban now for some 14 years and however much longer, uh, but at least 14 years. But after years of labor, it was not a good parting with his father-in-law. Jacob had become much more prosperous than Laban had become, and there was jealousy there. Uh, there's an interesting relationship between Jacob and Laban. Uh, they were extremely good at deceiving one another. And it's amazing how Jacob becomes more prosperous than Laban is. I'm going to allow you to read that story on your own. Take the scripture down. I want you to read for your devotions Genesis chapter 30, verse 25 through Genesis 31. Read those, that portion of chapter 30 on through chapter 31, how Jacob got to be more prosperous than his father-in-law, Laban. What is interesting, though, they do part ways. Jacob takes his large family, and he is getting ready to leave his father-in-law, Laban, and they establish a covenant between one another. And if you've been in church all of your life, you've probably heard this covenant. Some churches use this covenant uh, on an ongoing basis. Every Sunday, perhaps, you will hear these words. It's called the Mizpah Covenant. I want you to look at it. Uh, it is in chapter 31 of Genesis, verse 49. Genesis 31, verse 49. So as they get ready to... Part ways, Laban and, and Jacob. Here's the Mizpah covenant. And Mizpah, for he said, The Lord watch between me and thee when we are absent one from another. How many of you have heard those words? Perhaps, you know, I think I have a pastor from, from memory who used that as kind of the closing, the Lord watch between thee and me as we're absent one from another. But the, but the heart of that verse is, Listen, you trickster, God better keep his eye on you while we're apart from one another because I will never trust you. So it really wasn't a, a lovey, touchy, uh, fuzzy dog feeling, you know. Uh, it, was a, it was a statement of distrust. God keep his eye on you, you old trickster. Uh, the Mizpah covenant. So the family does indeed leave Haran and leave Laban. And Jacob is carrying a fear. Sooner or later, as I am traveling now, leaving the shelter of Laban's home and leaving my job there, taking my family out, sooner or later, I'm going to meet my brother, Esau. He knows it's coming. So in preparation for that meeting, 
Jacob sends his family on ahead of him across a brook called Jabbok. He separates himself from his family so that if Esau does catch up with him, Esau can only take his life and not the life of his entire family. So he puts a separation between himself and his family should Esau find him. And Jacob camps there at the brook of Jabbok by himself that night, and something monumental happens. This is one of those key moments in the Bible that you need to know about. Turn with me to Genesis 32 and go to verse 24. A major moment in the Bible. Genesis 32, verse 24. So here we are at the brook of Jabbok. Jacob is alone. Family is gone. And it says this. And Jacob was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel, for as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. Well, in those few verses, this is a wrestling match with God. God's righteous will is wrestling to overtake Jacob's selfish, defiant, deceptive will. And at the end of this wrestling match, God does not leave him the same. Rather, in that moment, God changed Jacob's name to Israel, and he also takes his hip out of joint so that Jacob would have a lifelong limp to remind him of this tussle with God at the brook of Jabbok. The name Israel means God contends or contending with God and God wins. God says you are no longer the person you were but rather, you are mine now. God is the one who won this wrestling match. Now, here's a thread of the Bible that every one of us should bear in mind at this point. We're seeing something happening here that should happen to every life. Every life should have an encounter with God that changes us. Uh, we call it a salvation experience. We call it coming to Christ as our Lord, but every person should have a life-changing experience with God where he takes over our heart. Old Jacob the deceiver was changed in that tussle, and his will was drawn close to God's will. He was a changed man after this little wrestling match all night long. God took over his heart, and Jacob became his. He changed his name. He changed his hip 
He changed his life, and he gave him a constant reminder about the, the wrestling match that he would carry in a limp for the rest of his life. That's indicative of a salvation experience that every person needs. That we come to a life-changing encounter with God and that He changes our will to be close to His will. And He changes our walk in this world that we're no longer, no longer walking for our selfish desires but rather we're walking the footsteps of Jesus Christ. He changes our name from lost to found. From a child of sin to a child of God. So, like Jacob, it does affect everything about our lives when we come to that life-changing experience with God. And here at the brook of Jabbok, we see that happen to Jacob, and it reminds us that we need to have it to happen to us. And that's what this church stands for, that we are taking that gospel and that news of changed lives into the world. You know, God loves to take the weak and the broken things of our life and raise them up to His glory. There is not a person on earth that God cannot change. You know, Jacob was pretty far gone as a, uh, a deceiving, trickster kind of guy. His own self-will, I want to get ahead, I want my way, I want things done the way I want them done, and God changed him. God can take the most far-removed person of the world and change him or her as well. Okay, well listen, what we're studying here it's so important because it is framing up the backbone of our faith. Uh, this is the development of a real family which is going to bring the Messiah, Jesus Christ, to the world. So again, what we're studying is so important. This is the beginning of the, the thread. And, and in this study of 31, 32 lessons, it's pretty amazing that we're giving nine lessons to just the book of Genesis alone. But it's so important. I remind you once again, if you don't know Genesis... You cannot know the rest of the Bible. That's why we're spending one-third almost of the study right here in Genesis. Before we move forward with Jacob's family, there is a major event, though, that hasn't happened. The meeting with Esau. It hasn't taken place at this point, and Israel, Jacob, is dreading it. It just couldn't go well. He separates himself from his family because he knows somebody's going to die in this confrontation, and it's going to be him, most likely. So, as we think about that, knowing that it couldn't go well, look at Genesis 33, verses 1 through 4. Here's the meeting, and it is quite amazing. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau came, and with him 400 men. 401 against one ain't very good odds, is it? And he divided the children unto Leah and unto Rachel and unto the two handmaids. And he put the handmaids and their children foremost, and Leah and her children after, and Rachel and Joseph hindermost. So he's protecting his family. And he passed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. And Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. 
It was exactly the opposite of what Jacob expected. The miracle of forgiveness. Jacob did not deserve it. Jacob had done nothing to change his brother's heart. Uh, and of course, Esau has a, 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 modeled, a, a modeled kind of future. Uh, his past wasn't good. And yet, this man forgave his brother and all the things that his brother had done against him. Esau gave him forgiveness. So at this point, God tells Israel, Jacob, in Genesis 35:1, to go on to Bethel, to build an altar there, and to dwell there with his family for a time. But then they move on to another city, and two major things happen here. So go to Genesis 35, verse 16. Genesis 35, verse 16. Another intersection. And they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way to come to Ephra. And Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. And it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass as her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. And Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. The last son, son number 12, is born of his favored wife, his ravishing Rachel, but she dies there at the end of the birth. I want you to take note that Jacob, Israel, buries his precious Rachel in the same place where the Messiah is going to be born some centuries later, Bethlehem. Now let me say this, I, I know in, in our study up through these lessons, you have heard lots of names and lots of places and lots ex of experiences through this study. And I don't want you to be overwhelmed with it all. I hope you've taken some notes that you can go back and kind of relive these words. But just remember to take in as much as possible of this because this is truly the root system of our faith. And you're going to see this thread that we're studying right now reappear throughout the Old Testament, and certainly through the New Testament. Uh, so keep on taking your notes. Get familiar with the lineage from Abraham to Isaac, and then from Isaac to Jacob, and then to Jacob's sons. Uh, and, and as we come somewhat to the home stretch tonight, we're going to list all of Jacob's or Israel's sons. Why is that important? Because these 12 sons create all of the families of Israel. If you remember, you won't have to flip here. Let me just read it to you once, once again. A great promise that God made to Father Abraham. If you want to write down the reference, it's Genesis 15, 5 and 6. To, to Father Abraham, God says, He brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he, Abraham, believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. So Jacob is in the pathway with these 12 sons of fulfilling that promise of his grandfather that God gave to Abraham. And so Jacob is in the midst of the fulfillment of that promise, and when God makes a promise, it will not be broken. And so he is using Jacob in that way. These 12 tribes 
uh, become so numerous, more numerous than the stars of the sky, fulfilling God's original promise. So, if you didn't get a study sheet, you might want to pick one up as you leave tonight because they have the names of the 12 sons of, of Israel. Uh, I do remind you that Jacob married two sisters, Israel, Jacob married two sisters, Leah and Rachel, and then the maidservants, Zilpah and Bilhah, which were kind of, I guess we, for lack of a better term, secondary wives uh, in this process, four wives. So from these four women come 12 sons. Leah is the first. Do you remember, in, as, as the description comes in Genesis, that Rachel is described as being barren. She is not able to have children at a particular point in, in, in their early marriage. Leah is the first. Even though she's not the favored wife, she is the first wife to produce a child. So Leah, uh, the first woman to bear children to Jacob, has Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. And then also she produces a daughter whose name is Dinah. Dinah herself has an interesting history in the Bible if you ever want to catch up with that. Uh, I, have to I have to tell you something a little funny as we get into this. Zebulun. When I was in seminary, there was a little town uh, close to Wake Forest, North Carolina, and the town's name was Zebulun. Uh, but just like town's names get shrunk down, the children that I worked with in our youth group did not say they came from Zebulun. They came from Zeblin. Says, the you got lost. Zeblin is where I come from. Uh, anyway, so this, those six sons. Now, from the maid servant Zilpah came two sons, Gad and Asher. From the beautiful Rachel came two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. Uh, you remember it says that uh, though she named him Benoni as she died, the father, Jacob, changed his name to Benjamin. Uh, but these two, Joseph and Benjamin, were the favored sons of Israel. Uh, and then also from maidservant Bilhah, two sons, Dan and Naphtali, 12 sons. And through them come the 12 tribes of Israel, a very important family in the history of salvation. So we see early on how this thread is going to lead to Jesus Christ. His family lineage is right here. Now, from which of these 12 sons formed the lineage that brought us Jesus Christ. Judah. Uh, Revelation 5.5 calls Jesus the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And also, if you want to write down a reference, Matthew chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, is a lineage of Jesus from the male side. And Judah, he is called in the King James Version, Judas, but it's the same person, uh, is in that lineage. So there's two at least two proofs in the Bible that Jesus is from the tribe of Judah. Also, as we see this family at the beginning of the Bible, uh, as I close the study tonight, I want to remind you that you see this, uh, this family throughout the Bible, but you see Israel at the very end of the Bible as well. Uh, in Revelation chapter 7, you can close down on Genesis tonight, but if you'd like to turn with me, go to Revelation chapter 7. So here we are, jetting from the first book of the Bible to the last book of the Bible, and we are centering in on this family of Israel, the 12 sons. We see the family at the end of the Bible from Revelation chapter 7 in the Great Tribulation, 
which is a day ahead of us, a day that is still in our future, Israel turns to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Israel comes to Christ. Israel become saved and of course again now Israel's not saved as one unit of people it's they're still saved as individual people one by one by one but Jewish people in mass are turning to Jesus as Lord and Savior in the great tribulation and that's prophesied in the book of Daniel if you read that prophecy and God is going to call from this family in the great tribulation 12 uh, 144,000 evangelists from the nation of Israel. 12,000 from every one of the 12 tribes will come out of Israel as saved through Jesus Christ and they will cover the world with the gospel of Christ. Isn't that amazing? What we're studying in Genesis, as this family is being formed, we see in a day that's past us that they're going to be out as Preachers of the gospel drawing a lost world in the great tribulation to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at Revelation 7, verses 2 through 4. And I saw another angel, of course, John, the old disciple, writing this book. I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed a hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Now, if you read verses 5 through 8, Every one of those tribes are named in the book of the Revelation and they are identical to the names of the sons that I just gave you from the book of Genesis. Revelation 7, 9 gives us the fruits of the evangelistic efforts of the 144,000 in the great tribulation. Look at Revelation 7, 9. And after this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. The fruits of the 144,000 evangelists was a number that could not be numbered. That's how many people are saved in the midst of the great tribulation through the nation of Israel. Man, what a thread that ties from Genesis to Revelation. The family of Israel is key to the Bible. If you don't know about Israel, you cannot understand God's Word. Now, as we close the study of Genesis tonight, one of the 12 sons of Jacob has a very, very interesting life. His name is Joseph, and we're going to study him next week in lesson number 9. And after we study Joseph's life next week, our study in Genesis closes and we move on uh, through the Bible.